Hey GCC family, hope you guys are doing well. Thank you so much for joining us here online this morning. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're good and you're God and we love you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to um, be with us, that you continue to transform us from the inside out, Lord, that you would draw us closer into relationship with you and, and draw us further on mission with you. Lord, we love you. All we are is yours. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, I love avocados. Uh, I love the taste. I love the color. I love the texture. Uh, I love avocados, and I'm really thankful that my wife just so happens to love avocados as well. She is probably the best guacamole maker I have ever met. Her guacamole is extremely delicious. And you know, our culture has recently become obsessed with this little green brown fruit. And so I'm sure you'll have no trouble answering this rhetorical, because it's a video question. <laughs> uh, how many seeds are in an avocado? If you said one, you're correct. Uh, there is one seed in, in an avocado. But I have a follow-up question for you as well. How many avocados are in one seed? Ultimately, the answer is, well, probably a lot. <laughs> uh, because one seed can, can be planted and become a tree, and that tree can bear many avocados, and, and those avocados can plant themselves and become trees and bear avocados. One avocado can have a huge huge lineage. One avocado can become many kind of quickly, actually, especially as you multiply that out generation after generation after generation. That, that's the power of just one. But I find in our culture, we often underestimate the power of one. We're, we often are like, man, what can I do with just one minute or just one hour, just one dollar? What, what is the there's no value to, to one. Uh, I think we often extrapolate this out to, to ourselves as, as human beings. We, we often think, I'm just one person. Well, what could I possibly do? I, I, I don't have anything to offer. It reminds me of this time that I was in an airport not too many years ago, a big city in Southeast Asia. As I was sitting in this airport, I had a layover like eight to ten hours, so I was sitting there for a long time. Uh, I was reading my book, and I was looking on my phone, and I got tired of it, and eventually I just started to people watch, and I love people watching, love watching people do what they do, and how they act and react, and I don't know, it's really fascinating to me. Anyway, I was doing a little people watching, and as I was watching all these people, hundreds of people every hour walking by, I remember beginning to feel this burden. I was there on a mission trip and uh, I remember thinking, man, all of these people, or, or probably the vast majority of them because of the nature of the country where I was, uh, are in need of the message of Jesus. And, and I remember feeling extremely burdened, like, like this deep guttural burden. And I thought to myself, maybe this is the Lord speaking to me and saying, hey, Nathan, you just stand on this chair and proclaim the, the gospel message to all these people who are walking by. But I quickly kind of did away with that thought because A, it was illegal to preach in this country, and B, 
uh, well, I'm overseas, like the, the likelihood that these people speak English to any degree of, uh, of fluency is really, really low. That's not really what was needed. And, and, and I realized as I began to think about it, what was needed was, was not someone standing on a chair preaching at them. What was needed was, was someone who would be willing to get up close to that person, whether it would be just for a couple of minutes or a few hours or a few weeks or a few years or whatever, and, and, and share the message of Jesus with them in a way that they could understand in their own language, perhaps through their own cultural lenses, and, and help them to understand the true message of Jesus. And then I began to get heavy in my guts again as I realized that I couldn't possibly be that person for all of these hundreds, thousands of people walking in front of me every hour. I just couldn't be that person. I couldn't learn every language. I couldn't engage with every life. I needed help. If these people's lives were going to change, there was going to I, I, there was a need for more people to to be at work, more people to be doing it, and uh, we just needed more. I, I I couldn't possibly do it alone. And it's interesting in, in the scriptures, Jesus faces almost a very similar situation in, in Matthew chapter nine. He He's going throughout all the towns and villages preaching the gospel. He's healing sicknesses and diseases and casting out demons and, and doing all these mighty works. And then we get to the end of the passage uh, and, and we read beginning in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, like I said, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And then it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few or the workers here in the NIV. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers or laborers into the harvest field. In this passage, we see some really important truths come out. The, the, the first thing that Jesus does is he, he presents to us this this massive problem. He's looking out on all of these people. He's taking note of the fact that they need him. They need his message. They, they, need, they need access to him as the king of the universe. And, and, and he's looking at them and he's, he's, he's filled with compassion. And, and the word translated compassion here has got this gut-wrenching sense to it. it Jesus is filled with gut-wrenching compassion He's brokenhearted over the fact that there's so many people out there who need him and so few who are willing to tell them. And, and then he turns to his disciples and the heart says, the harvest is plentiful. There, there's lots of people out there, but the laborers are few. There's not enough people to tell them. And then Jesus does a third thing. He, 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 he helps us or he gives us his only prayer request, to my knowledge, in the entire New Testament. He says this, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. That's Jesus's only prayer request in the New Testament. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send more laborers. That is Jesus's solution. As Jesus is looking out on all of these people and he's filled with gut-wrenching compassion and, and love for these people, he he looks and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need more laborers. 
And then in the lines after Matthew chapter 9, as we get into Matthew chapter 10, Jesus calls the disciples to himself, the very same disciples that he made this prayer request to, and he sends them out to go and be ministers of the gospel. And it's almost as if he is saying, hey, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send more laborers out into this abundant harvest. And by the way, you are those laborers. Take note that that Jesus is just one. But because of, it, because of his investment, because he was a laborer among the twelve, suddenly there's twelve more who are doing the work. I think it's fascinating that, that Jesus' solution to, to the great harvest need, if you will, the, the fact that there's so many people out there who need him, who need his message, who need an up-close relationship with him, is laborers. Take note of what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say the harvest is plentiful, but the, the missionaries are few. He doesn't say the harvest is plentiful, but the pastors are few. He doesn't say the harvest is plentiful, but the, the big name band, Christian bands are few. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And it's not that pastors or missionaries or any of those people are bad. Praise the Lord that we have those people. They're important. I am one. <laughs> but uh, that is not who Jesus looks to as he faces this gut-wrenching need he he looks to laborers and i think that jesus used that word laborer very intentionally i mean when you think of the word laborer what comes to your mind my guess is it's things like ordinary every day people who work for a living people who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty Laborers, kingdom laborers, the laborers that Jesus is, are talk, is talking about are, are ordinary, everyday people. They, they might not have tons of education or tons of money or, or they might not you know, have high positions in, in businesses or governments, but they're the kind of people that, that get the job done. And I think Jesus uses this word because he wants to make it an all-inclusive kind of word. He wants to say, hey, we need more laborers. And by the way, anyone, anyone can be a laborer, even you. And ultimately, I think that's, that's what Jesus is, Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us to join him as laborers out in the harvest. You know, it reminds me of a passage in Acts chapter 4, I've quoted it many times to you before, beginning in verse 13. Here's what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, I love that this passage talks about how Peter and John are ordinary and unschooled. Uh, the, the setting of Acts chapter 4 is in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go into the temple and they heal this guy who was lame, couldn't walk. Uh, he, he stands and he begins to walk and they're celebrating and the people gather around and Peter's preaching and uh, the Sanhedrin's like, no, this is not okay. So at the beginning of chapter 4, they put Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin and say, explain yourselves. And Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and has this great defense. And, and as a result of this defense, the, the Sanhedrin this is their response when they saw when the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were ordinary uneducated men they took note that these men had been with Jesus ordinary uneducated they don't bring a lot to the table the, the 
This is what laborers are. They're, they're ordinary, uneducated people, just like Peter and John, just like the Twelve, just like so many other followers of Jesus. There's not a lot of requirements to be an, a kingdom laborer, but there is, there is one thing that distinguishes kingdom laborers from the rest, and that is that they have been with Jesus. To be a kingdom laborer, you, you, you don't need special training and, you, and you, you don't need titles. You don't need some crazy high, you know, education or some massive bank account. But, but there is one thing you need. You need the king. You need Jesus. You, and it's, it, the reason is because it's through this up-close relationship with Jesus that you as an ordinary person can do the extraordinary things that kingdom laborers do every day. I would also encourage you to take note that in, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were laboring in a very ordinary place. They, they, they didn't go to some crazy location. They, they were at the temple, a, a gathering place, a place that they went to frequently. Take note that they were in dealing with ordinary people in ordinary everyday places. And ultimately, that's the simple definition of a, of a kingdom laborer. A laborer is someone who loves God with everything and loves others passionately. They act on this care for others and all of the ordinary places of life. And they, and they do this, and as they do this, their impact expands. They go from one to many. You know, I've watched laborers do this all around the world for, for years and years and years now. I, I've told you many times about Mariamu, who, who's being a laborer to the Hadza Bay people, and she's equipping people who are preaching the gospel to other people who are preaching the gospel to other people. Uh, she has four, five, six spiritual generations coming out of her, her in, engagement with just a few. And I also was telling you about a young woman from South Asia who, who recently got a mission team together and, and she has been uh, sharing the gospel and those people have been sharing the gospel and they've been sharing the gospel. And I think the last time I told you it was like 200 or 300 people, who, or sorry, I think it was 100 people or so who had been reached, maybe two or three spiritual generations. And a spiritual generation is where one person shares the gospel with somebody and then that person goes on to share the gospel with somebody else. Uh, that's two spiritual generations. Anyway, uh, at this point, her movement that she started has now reached more than 300 people and spans more than eight spiritual generations. Amazing. And I also recently told you about Caleb, who he himself was trained by someone else to be a laborer, and then he trained me and many others to be laborers, and then we've trained many others to be laborers. All these spiritual generations emerging time and time and time again. I, I, I recently have been super encouraged to see one of our students from Frenzy who has been trained to be a laborer, being a laborer to others. So that's what a laborer is, a, an ordinary everyday person engaging ordinary everyday people in the ordinary everyday places of life and, and just seeking to love God and love them and, and doing it well. <laughs> and uh, so that's what a laborer is. But what kinds of things do, do laborers do? And I just want to say I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, read with me in John chapter 2 at verse 6. It says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And, and Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, follow God's 
example. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. In essence, a laborer is someone who does the things that, that Jesus did. And, and you can look anywhere in, in the Gospels and, and look at the types of things that Jesus did and, and learn from those things. But I just want to focus in today here on one passage, and we're not even going to leave Matthew chapter 9 to do it. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Other translations of this passage say, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? <laughs> you know, I've told you before that this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, simply because it's Jesus's character on display and i think we can gain a lot from this little passage and and the first thing that we gain about being a laborer is written right there on the page in verse 9 jesus saw a man named matthew this is in my opinion the essential first step if we want to live like jesus did the first thing we have to do is see people matthew I would imagine, just like Zacchaeus, as we talked about a few weeks ago, would have felt invisible. No one was inviting Matthew over for dinner. He was hated and despised and rejected. He was, he was a tax collector. No one liked him. I imagine he, he basically felt clear as, as, as if people could just look right through him. You know, uh, I'm reminded of a man named Pastor Scott who... I've told some of you about, maybe if you listen to one of the devotionals that went out during during the pandemic, but he's a super cool pastor that I worked for in Denver City proper, and he, he loves God and loves people, and he works really, really hard day in and day out to, to reach this community that he's in uh, with the message of the gospel, and whenever I would meet with Pastor Scott, I would always say something along the lines of, hey, Pastor Scott, it's good to see you. And his reply to me would always be, hey, Nathan, it's good to be seen. And I always thought that the, this was kind of like really confusing because like whenever I'd always greeted people with, it's good to see you, they would always say, well, it's good to see you too. And I was always like, well, isn't it good to see me? And then I, I continued to think and I, and I was still confused because it seemed like Pastor Scott was the type of person who was being seen all the time. He, he would be seen on Sunday mornings as he preached the sermon and seen on, on, on Wednesday nights as he, you know, did prayer group and seen on Tuesdays and Wednesday, uh, Thursdays as he, as he led, you know, the, the, the after school program. He, he was seen all the time. And, and as I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, I realized something. Even though Pastor Scott is looked at all the time, it's probably far and few between in his day or in his week that he is actually truly seen by people. So, so it made perfect sense all of a sudden why he would say, hey, Nathan, it's good to be seen. Have you ever felt invisible? I know I have. <laughs> uh, I was an awkward kid growing up, had a hard time making friends. I sat at many lonely lunch tables growing up just because I didn't know how to talk to people. I know what it's like to feel invisible. But us invisibles are not unseen by Jesus. Jesus doesn't see, see us as just 
fodder for his visual lens. You know, he it, we're 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 objects of, of affection and, and and people, true people he who he desires to really truly see. So if we want to do the things that Jesus did, the, the first thing we got to do is see people. The next thing that Jesus did in his encounter with Matthew was stop. So Jesus sees people and then he stops. He didn't just see Matthew and keep going. He, he stopped. For me, stopping is really, really hard. Our culture is obsessed with getting from one place to the next. I'm busy. I've got somewhere to be. I'm late. I know that there, in my own life, there have been several times where where the Lord might open my eyes to see somebody, but I I decide not to stop. Uh, I remember this one particular time. I was driving just down here, 285 and uh, Kipling, and I was going north. And on the right hand side of the road, I saw a man flying a sign, you know, anything helps, homeless, God bless. And uh, I remember just seeing him and, and feeling compassion for him. And thinking to myself, oh, I should probably do something, but just kept driving. And I remember the Spirit of the Lord kept, didn't let me just keep driving. I remember the Spirit of the Lord was like, Nathan, stop. Nathan, turn around. Nathan, stop. Nathan, turn around. So I remember I got, you know, I went through that first light right north of 285. And then I went through the one at Morrison Road. And and I finally got to that light right before Jewel with, with the Burger King on the right-hand side. And I felt like the Lord said, make a U-turn. So I, I just was like, okay, I'll, I'll make a U-turn. So I drive back and I'm like, man, I'm going to be late, whatever. Drive over, find a parking spot, look around in my car, grab a, a water and some chips. And and uh, I begin to walk over and I remember just shaking, just being so nervous uh, about what I was going to say. You know, I just... I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what if he gets angry? What if he's insulted? You know, what are all these other people going to think? Like, uh, you know, are they going to think I'm practicing my righteousness in front of them? I, I was just going through all of this stuff in my head. But I, I finally get to him on the side of the road and I, I walk up and I just put out my hand and say, hey, my name is Nathan. What's yours? He says, I'm Walt. And uh, me and Walt chat for a while and I give him the chips and the water and I just let him know that Jesus loves him and I offer to pray for him. And I do, I know, right there on the street corner. <laughs> I don't know if that was okay, but I pray for him and um, then uh, I leave. And the Lord begins to make that a regular practice for me. And whenever I would see Walt on the side of the road, I, I'd pull over and say hi and, and pray for him. Stopping was was really, really hard the first time and the second time and got a little easier the third time, but got harder again the fourth time. It's, it's always hard to stop, but it was such a blessing for me. And I think it was a blessing for him as well. So the first thing Jesus did was see people. And then the next thing he did was stop it. And then the third thing that Jesus did with Matthew was he spent time. He, he had a meal with Matthew. Honestly, it'd be kind of awkward for Jesus to see, stop, and that would be it. Just like stare at him awkwardly, <laughs> you know. But, but he spent time 
with Matthew. Jesus does this masterfully over and over again throughout the New Testament. I, I'm reminded particularly of, of the story of the woman with the blood flow who Jesus is on his way to heal uh, Jairus's daughter. He, he's on his way there and time is of the essence. This girl is on her deathbed and this woman reaches out and touches him and power goes out of him and he takes note of it and he says, who touched me? And this woman is like, it was me. And Jesus stops and he spends some time with her. There's, there's a lot going on. They, they got places to be, but he stops and he, he spends valuable time with her. This one is another hard one in our culture. We, we're always going somewhere. We always have somewhere to be next. I gotta go, I gotta go. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. It's like we're the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. I, I always have somewhere to be, never have time to be where I'm at. You know, I fear our culture has trained us out of being the hands and feet of Jesus simply by idolizing busyness, by, by making busyness our, our highest goal. When I travel around the world, I find that not all cultures value time like this. I, I was recently, like a couple of years ago in Tanzania, and we had called together this conference of youth, and we had set up four hours of preaching. It was supposed to go from three to seven, and I remember we arrived at 2.30, and and we waited for half an hour and we're like, hey, it's three o'clock, should we, should we get going? And they were like, oh no, people won't be here for a while. And 3.30, 4, 4.30, finally, like 5, 5.15, we get started. We have to creatively fit four hours of content to just two hours. Uh, but the, the, it can be frustrating at times that people are so late, but at the same time, these people, have, the reason that they're late, the reason many of them are late is because they have such a value on whoever is in front of them at the moment. Many of them are late because as they go from place to place, they greet people. And when they greet people, they really greet people. They don't just see people. They don't just wave. They, 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 they say, hey, how are you doing? I think that we can learn a lot from this. That, I mean, it's always a balance, of course, but man... I think we can learn a lot from learning to prioritize people over time. And uh, as we seek to spend time with people, as we see, stop, and, and spend time with people, I, I think that the we often can potentially, especially if we're doing this with a heart of evangelism, we can feel pressure to say, hey, I need to make this into something. I, that they need to, I need to preach the gospel. They need to hear the message. And I would say, yes. And uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, the Bible teaches us to make the most of every opportunity. So in my mind, if, if the most of, of whatever opportunity you're in is to share your testimony with someone, praise the Lord. If the most is to preach the gospel to someone, praise the Lord. But if the most is just to see them and, and spend time with them and, and just be in, their, in, in that moment with them, praise the Lord. I think we're accountable to making the most of every opportunity not necessarily preaching every single time. But it is important to preach. We must share the word of God. Anyway, what, whatever it may look like, it, it, I just recommend making the most of every opportunity. So ultimately, that, that's what a laborer does. It's, it's someone who sees and stops and spends time with people, just like Jesus did. So a laborer, in summary, it's an ordinary, everyday person who engages people in the ordinary, everyday places of life. Their, their defining feature is that they've been up close with God. 
And uh, they are people who, who love God with everything and, and love others passionately. And, and, and they are the people who do the things that Jesus did. They see and they stop and they spend time all with the ultimate goal of, of revealing Jesus to that person. And, and of course, one more thing. They're always the type of people who, even though they're just one, they can have a huge impact spanning many spiritual generations as, as the people that they impact impact others and those people impact still others. You know, the cool thing about going to church at a church like this one, Grace Covenant, is that we have an abundance of people who are already practicing kingdom laborership. People who, who make Jesus a priority day in and day out and just, and just, they, they're, they're living it already. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite kingdom laborers here at Grace is Curtis Gilmore. For those of you who know Curtis, he's a, he's a nonverbal dude, but man, I don't know very many people who see, stop, and spend time with people better than Curtis. Curtis just does an amazing, amazing job at it. When you get seen by Curtis, you know that you're seen, you're greeted with a smile, he gives you a great high five, he'll even engage you in a conversation. Curtis is a kingdom laborer. Curtis is someone who loves God passionately and, and loves others fully to the best of his abilities. Curtis is, is an avocado man. <laughs> you know, another of my favorite kingdom laborers is my wife, Taylor. I haven't been bragging on her enough lately. Uh, but man, my wife, she is an amazing kingdom laborer. She, uh, she does this amazing thing where she sees people that no one else sees. In fact, that's one of the things that attracted me to her in the first place. She sees invisible people. When we go on our annual mission trip to Fort Morgan, I'm always stunned by the people that she sees and the people that she's able to lead to Christ. People who I, would, I probably wouldn't even have taken note of. She sees them and they decide to follow God. It's, it's amazing what God uses her to do. She sees, she stops, she spends time. She, she is an avocado lady. You know, I can name tons and tons of people in this church. And in fact, there are so many that, that it's hard to mention them all in a sermon, which is a good problem to have. The fact that I have to decide which ones not to mention instead of which one, instead of having to like try and find someone who I could mention. It's, it's amazing. It's a good problem to have so many people who are doing this. But don't hear me wrong. There's still a need for more more places, more people in more places sharing the message of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are still few. We gotta pray. But in the same way that God sent those who were praying, the same way that Jesus sent the 12 who were praying for more laborers, we're also going to be those laborers that we're praying for. You know, I wanna invite you today to make that commitment. To say, yes, Jesus, I want to be your ordinary, everyday person, engaging people in ordinary, everyday places with your message, with your love, with your goodness. I want to be that. And if that's you, I have two challenges for you today. The first one is simple. Write it down somewhere. A journal, maybe on the page of Matthew chapter 9 in your, in your Bible, your favorite Bible. Write it down somewhere. Say, today on September 13th, 2020, I made a commitment to be a kingdom laborer. And the second thing is, is pray. 
Pray that the Lord would make you into a laborer. Pray that he would give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a mouth that speaks his truth. Pray that he would give you a heart that is moved with the same compassion that his heart is moved with. And pray that the Lord would bring specific people or even that he would lay specific people on your hearts so that you can be laborers too. Ultimately, being a laborer is about getting the job done. Don't make a commitment. I, I, I encourage you not to make a commitment here today and say, I want to be a laborer. And then in a week, just forget about it. We got to get the job done. We got to be the type of people who see, stop, and spend time with people. We got to be the type of people who make a practice of it. Even if not every time we see, stop, and spend time with someone, it becomes even a spiritual conversation, let alone a conversion story. Like, like if we could just make it a practice to, to do the things that Jesus did, I think we'd be surprised at the opportunities that come our way. And ultimately, I want to leave you with this, this question. Will you be an answer to Jesus's prayer request? Let's pray. Father, you're good and we love you. Father, I pray that you would lead bring more laborers into your harvest field, Lord, that we would be those laborers, that you would fill us with your hearts of compassion, that we would have wisdom, that we would uh, have eyes to see and ears to, see, to hear and mouths that confess your truth. Father, I pray that there would be a, a mighty kingdom harvest as a result of this. Uh, Lord, that many people in many places would hear your word because of the work that you're doing through all of us uh, here at Grace Covenant Church. We love you. We praise your name, Jesus' name, amen. Well, Grace, uh, before I say goodbye, I just want to say thank you. Uh, it has been an honor serving as the interim to the interim <laughs> pastor for the last nine, ten weeks or whatever it's been. Um, thank you for being who you guys are. Uh, Taylor and I felt so encouraged, prayed for, lifted up. You guys are all such an amazing blessing. Taylor and I will still be here at Grace. I'm just shifting back. Um, I'm, I'm just not going to be the, 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 the pastor, the lead pastor anymore, but we're still here at church, still leading the youth group, all that stuff. All that to say, we love you. We're thankful for you, and we're excited about everything that God is doing through Grace Covenant Church and uh, are excited to be part of it moving forward wherever the Lord might lead us. Anyway, uh, like I said, thank you, and uh, I'm praising the Lord that, that we're here 10 weeks later after such a, a traumatic event, um, and we're still worshiping the God together, and we're still on mission together. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless.